0: Well, it's lonesome in this old town. Everybody puts me down. I'm a face without a name. Just walking in the rain. Going back to Houston.
1: Houston. Houston. Good morning and Going welcome to episode to 498 Houston. of Effectively Wild, the Houston. daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus. Brought to you by the Play Index at BaseballReference.com. Um, I'm Sam Miller, and that's Ben Lindbergh, who writes for Grantland. Ben, how are you? Great. How are you? Good. I'm sending you something that I just saw come over the come over the wire <laughs> oh. two seconds before we started recording. This is uh, the Arizona Republic. I. I think, mm-hmm. yeah, it's always or, hard to tell. No, it's, yeah, it's, it's it azcentral.com, yeah, right, which newspapers is a... are always rebranding their websites for some right. reason. Uh, when I was at Orange County Register, for a while our website was branded as MyOC, and for a while <laughs> it was branded as orangecounty.com. Um, so I'm always uh, a little cautious. But yes, this is the mm-hmm. Arizona Republic. has a, has a feature where uh, writers, uh, not writers, uh, readers, can submit headlines for the Diamondbacks game. And um, I find this charming and wonderful, and I just wanted you to see the headlines that are suggested. They are so (laughs) earnest. They are not, like, these are not, I I mean, I guess maybe they've filtered out the ones that are any fun. Mm -hmm. But these are, like, people really trying to mimic copy editors as though copy editor is, like, this... Awesome thing that you dreamed of when you were a kid, but you know life got in the way <laughs> and you could never be become a copy editor. But this is like this is like the uh, copy editor fantasy camp, and so they're really trying really hard. So like the the winning headline today uh, is long balls leave D backs short, <laughs> which is such an earnest headline. Tigers pick off win as D backs lose. Uh,
0: the the uh, winner for July twentieth. How sweep it is!
1: How sweep it is! I with know. an it,
0: exclamation it, point.
1: It's like every sweep
0: you could do that.
1: <laughs> and what I'm sure. Th-
0: people do. Jeanne,
1: Jean, Jean. Whatever, whatever your name is, you've got to think about what makes this headline unique. This is a sweep unlike any other. Wow. You you have to find the thing that makes this sweep special. Unless this is the only sweep that has ever been sweet. In which case it can work, but I have a question. This <laughs> it, it, it one is
0: narrowly beat out another sweet, sweet pun. Oh, oh so, so
1: sweet. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I wonder yes. how they decided between those.
1: Venomous snakes sweep cubs. In which, fine, all true, but in this case, the thing that you chose to make your headline unique was by putting venomous snakes. And you can tell that all the color that like when he like he's like diamondback sweep cubs. No, that's (laughs) not it. This needs more. And so he came over with venomous snakes. It's the diamondbacks home newspaper. They're always venomous snakes. Every single headline could be Venomous Snakes. Everyone, 162 a year, could have Venomous Snakes in there. Do you see how this works? Jolling Ulri, do you get the headline game? Then Getting heated. One of these suggestions for today is, para para gone yeah
0: i saw that
1: what is what What does that that
0: mean it's
1: a two-syllable word just like going
0: (laughs) yeah i don't know is that what that's supposed to be a a take on Uh, so so
1: so every game all right so ben name name a player name a player name a ball player goldschmidt all right so paul goldschmidt is the hero of the game my headline is Going, going, Paul.
0: <laughs>
1: All right, give me another one.
0: Uh, um, Adam Eaton.
1: Eaton, Eaton, gone.
0: <laughs> wow, it works so well for everyone.
1: It does. In fact, as long as you don't have a six-syllable name, I believe I can make it work.
0: That's good, Eaton. <laughs>
1: well, see, no, Ben, that actually makes sense.
0: That would win. Because
1: Eaton and eating <laughs> sound alike. <laughs> <laughs> that's you are too good for this you are clearly I'm a professional a, a, yes yes
0: it's yes. clear that i'm a ringer here all right uh not everyone can write brilliant headlines based on obscure rap lyrics like you
1: do you want to banter about the thing or do you want to save the banter and go on to the topic because um, the topics i don't know maybe the topic's going to be long maybe it's not
0: I'll banter about it just because we we got a bunch of questions about it and Facebook this, uh, comments uh, okay. about it.
1: All right, but Ben, I just want you to know this episode is going to go long and around minute 40 I'm going to get grumpy.
0: <laughs> okay, you can get grumpy. Okay, go ahead. Okay, uh, so there was, there was an article, Sports Illustrated, by Tom Verducci, and the upshot of the article was that we should consider banning the shift, making the shift illegal in some way, drawing a, a, an imaginary line or an action actual line on the field somewhere and saying that certain fielders can't go, can't cross this line, can't, uh, you know, the shortstop can't stand to the right of second base or, or whatever, whatever it is. Um, but the, the, the gist was that uh, baseball's offense is down, Batting average is down. This is bad for baseball. It's boring baseball, and so baseball needs to do something to counteract this, and not not the slow, gradual counteracting that that might occur over a period of years. Uh, there was some suggestion in the article that that teams will maybe encourage opposite field hitting or all fields hitting more than they have, but that that's something that might take years to show up because you have to ingrain that that uh, behavior early in players rather than after they get to the major leagues. And so Verducci says that that we can't wait or he doesn't really say that he he seriously thinks that we should think about doing something about this, adding something to the books and I don't agree. We've well've we've, we've talked about this, we talked about this a, a long time time ago uh but not not recently so you are also against this i would i would imagine yeah well i mean i
1: uh i guess i have uh i'm not ever really against anything or pro anything i think that um the less an idea makes sense um the more i kind of want to see it um in a lot of ways um but uh yeah i'm I'm generally. I mean, so my two thoughts on this. One is that uh, th- I think that people who want to outlaw the shift consider that the uh, traditional way of doing things. Like they, they can, they consider themselves the traditionalists. They're preserving mm-hmm. the game as we know it. They're the conservatives, and the shifters are the uh, the crazy radicals. But in fact, it's exactly the opposite. The thing about the thing that is consistent about baseball is that fielders have the right to go wherever they want and orchestrate their own defense. They have chosen a relatively conservative form of defense for 150 years, but there is no restriction on it. And uh, it is always the case that the person who tries to engineer the game in any way or impose rules on the game where no rule existed is the true radical. He is the one who is trying to dramatically change the player's relationship to the game. And once you start imposing restrictions, there are always unintended consequences. There would certainly, I would say, be some unintended consequence of this, um, even if it were just in establishing a precedent for how we view defense, and Mm -hmm. that radical unintended consequence might not come for decades, but something unknown would come of it. And baseball has always, generally, uh, on matters of of defense, uh, allowed the seven men to roam where they are and trusted them to, to do the right thing, and, and they always have. So uh, in that sense, I don't think that this is um, necessarily as safe as people uh, who promote it might think. The other thing is that if you're going to do it, uh, if you're going to put restrictions on them, as you know, uh, I, I often uh, debate in my head the value of, um, of restrictions versus the value of allowing players to be as good as they can possibly be. Um, and allowing defenders to play where they think they're most likely to catch the ball is pretty explicitly allowing them to be as good as they can possibly be and putting restrictions on them is putting restrictions on them and, and where we see restrictions we often see much of the tension of the game that makes the game good so if you're gonna restrict them that's an interesting idea but restrict them no no shading whatsoever there's a circle on the field like you're in a play and you're not the director and the director tells you where to stand that's where you stand. So every player stands in the exact same position every play, um, and defenders aren't allowed to move. And then we can sort of see what the game would look like with that. Obviously, that's absurd. I only agree with new changes if they're slightly absurd. Otherwise, i let the game go where
0: it wants to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it kind of discourages innovation in a way. If, uh, if a strategy works so well that that, is, that it risks being outlawed, I don't know how many other strategies there are that would work so well or would be so, uh, so obvious in its effect or potentially dramatic in its effect. But, but I, I mean, I like the, the back and forth um, and I can see why the typical fan would would rather see hits. Uh, that's understandable. But teams haven't, I don't think, gotten close to exhausting all of their options To deal with the shift. I don't think it's like they've tried everything and clearly the shift has won and to save baseball something needs to be done. Teams haven't really adjusted all that much as far as I can tell which is their own fault. (laughs) So I've been you know I've been writing about the bunting stuff and of course there have been some hitters who have adapted their approach somewhat seemingly to counter the shift and and uh there are things that that you can do if you if you want to get out from under the the yoke of this thing so so do that
1: yeah when michael bowman came out as anti shift um, a couple months ago it was exactly the opposite it was the ideas that it's just too easy to beat it yeah, um right and i was i still don't quite know i just i love michael and i still don't quite know uh what his concern is because if it's easy to beat it then fielders will stop doing it Mm -hmm. but i trust him i trust that he has very good reason for feeling the way he does and it's the opposite yeah i mean you're right it's the shift is um uh we it's way 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 too soon to say that Mm -hmm. the shift is not crackable it seems quite possible that in five years there will be no shifts or there will be the same amount of shifts as always (laughs) Mm
0: mm-hmm yeah, and I, I hope that we get to see that evolution happen instead of a, a rule being implemented. I mean, it it seems far fetched. You know, it's 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 something that you write and it gets a lot of attention and we're talking about it. And Verducci is is great uh, on the whole, um, and so I, I don't. Uh, it doesn't bother me that he raised the idea for for discussion. But it's, uh, it's something that I definitely would not like to see. I think it's going to be interesting and fun to see how teams counter this thing without the, uh, without the commissioner intervening. Uh,
1: while you were talking, I was on Twitter talking about these headlines and <laughs> somebody named Aaron just suggested the perfect headline w- without even hearing us. This is what's amazing. He, <laughs> he actually elevated our joke as though he were in the room with us and he elevated it perfectly, and yet he's not—he has no idea what we have just said. His headline suggestion is, "How sweep is it? Quite sweep."
0: <laughs> uh. <laughs> it's a good one. He should submit that. I'm doing it again, Ben. I'm doing the laugh. Yeah, you're doing your squeak laugh almost. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. How squeak it is. <laughs> Alright. Okay. No emails today. We're pushing oh, back email. We probably should have said what we were planning to talk about at some point before this. But yeah, we are, we're pushing doing back emails email. Tomorrow.
1: Wednesday for a day um we're going to talk about the Astros and Brady Aiken um Nick Flares uh has written a, a, a real barn burner um a, a very comprehensive and and insightful and and insightful seems wrong because insightful when you hear that somebody wrote something insightful you think they're like you know cutting open a vein and and like telling you how they feel or or something like that. This is not that. This is will give you such an appreciation for the machina- uh, the machinations, 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 machinations of the of what happens <laughs> okay. when teams uh, put together their draft plan. Uh, and how, how, you know, basically you're thinking, in a lot of cases, not always I guess, but in a lot of cases you're, you're thinking of your 21st round pick when you make your first round pick. And you're thinking of your 14th round pick when you make your 21st round pick. And the way that the CBA's uh, slot, slot guidelines have, um, or not guidelines, slot limits, uh, have really uh, turned the draft into a, into a very complicated game. Uh, and so that's going to be up on the site in the morning. Uh, it's really good. Everybody should read it. Um, We will do a very, very poor job of giving you a sense of everything that's in it, so don't just listen to us and think (laughs) that you've heard it all. Um, But um, I guess that if there's a central thesis to this, uh, at least in regards to the Astros' role and uh, decisions along the way, it's that the Astros are so smart that they came up with this perfect plan, and the plan... Was going to get them an incredible pool of talent. Uh, They were going to maximize their leverage uh, across the draft. They were going to sign players who were better than their uh, than they who were more valuable than they had to pay. They were going to sign players who were far more valuable than the round they were taken in. They were also going to get you know possibly probably maybe arguably the best talent in the draft at number one. Uh, It was a perfect plan that they had clearly thought out. Um, and it was so good, in fact, that they forgot to have a backup mm-hmm. for what seems in retrospect to have been such an obvious concern, which is that pitchers are all broken. And so once they, uh, they put this plan in action uh, and they got to see the MRI uh, and they decided that Brady Aiken was too risky to spend $6.5 million on – uh, but was you know not too risky to spend five million on, but too risky to spend six point five million on. Um, they didn't have a backup plan for the first kind of cog in this sequence of events, mm-hmm. um, and it was in a way it was their own brilliant plan uh, that was their undoing. Is that would you say that's a fair
0: thesis statement for this piece? I suppose so. I would say that maybe not that. <sighs> Maybe if you want to put a more positive spin on it slightly. Oh, see, or, that to me sounds like the most positive spin you could put on. <laughs> well, I, I was actually worried
1: it was sounding too positive.
0: Um, yeah, well, the, the last line of the article is, you would be hard-pressed to script a believable failure, larger in scope and more sweeping in potential fallout than what we've seen with the 2014 draft efforts of the Houston Astros. So that is, that's a pretty ringing Condemnation I don't know whether you can have a ringing Condemnation Ringing is usually a good thing So I think the only Slight adjustment I might say Or might make to what you said Is that It's not so much that they Failed to account for the fact that Or the possibility that he might be Broken right Because if he If he had actually been broken If he had been Hurt in a way that Everyone could agree on In the yeah. in the typical way Like he he just had a a torn UC, UCL or something like yeah. like Hoffman or Fetty or, or the other guys who had that issue. Uh, then this would not have led to the same disaster scenario that that ultimately transpired. It was it was this kind of edge case or in between case where he wasn't clearly broken and he had been pitching on this arm perfectly effectively and. He considered himself healthy, and his agent Casey Close, or advisor Casey Close, considered him healthy, and there was no way to prove that he wasn't healthy, really, or that he was destined to break. He just, from what we know, had some sort of irregularity, just like a, a malformation, a something, right. something was not shaped the way that it is normally shaped, and... Uh, and it's hard to say, I suppose, that, that that is definitely going to lead to problems for him down the road. He evidently, I guess, believes that it is not, right, because he passed up a, a pretty good payday. If he had seen the results of the MRI and been really scared off by them, You'd you'd think he would have... Gone for the five million maybe even if even if there were some hard feelings in the in the negotiation but clearly he's pretty confident in his ability to Stay healthy at least for another year and and re-enter the draft and and maybe make more money or as much money and so it was this rare case and as I was reading I was kind of trying to Trying to think about how much I blame the astros for not baking in uh, a fallback plan for this, you know, not once in a lifetime case. I guess there have been uh, similar cases, but but very rare case, more rare than just a pitcher being broken, which is fairly common and not all that surprising. So mm-hmm. Nick made the case that, that they should have given themselves an out, uh, planned for this eventuality, given themselves a, an escape plan here so that they could – that they could emerge with something from this draft and and spend the money on some other some other guy who would uh, command a, a good deal of money, some other high school guy outside just outside the first ten rounds that they could spend some money on, and they didn't do that. Nick contends because they likely thought that they had everything planned out before the draft, and in most cases, if you were to simulate this process a hundred times somehow it would probably work out for them 97 and a half times yeah so yeah. I don't so I don't know uh, I guess when there's this much at stake and you have all the time in the world to plan for this sort of stuff and you're you're not what you do is not dependent on some other team well it is to some extent but you you can choose who you want to Spend your first pick on, and you have a year to plan for how you want to approach this. I guess, given the stakes, it's something that you should consider. Um, I'm I'm still trying to decide how, how, uh, how much blame to assign, at least to that that portion of this process. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it's a really good point. The there there does seem to be um, with a lot of health conditions, there seems to just sort of Almost be a a consensus, a formula. This is how much your draft stock drops. You know, this is how much less we'll give you. This is where you go now instead of where you would have gone. And and I, um, uh, it's not you know in total agreement. I was asking around uh, not long ago for a piece about uh, Jeff Hoffman, and I wanted to know how much uh, it changed. um, uh, You know, how much how much uh, how much value. Uh, clubs or or uh, uh, talent evaluators would uh, put on Hoffman once they knew that he had t- uh, the Tommy John surgery just before the draft. And the answers weren't all the same. Some people said practically nothing, and some people said, well, nobody told me this, but uh, so you know, according to Danny Nobler in a piece that he wrote about elbow health, uh, something like ten clubs, according to him. I don't really believe these ten clubs are. Saying uh, are really really mean this, but apparently they're saying that they would never touch a Tommy John uh, case uh, in the draft at this point. Uh, but you know the consensus is basically like 50 percent, and and Nick told us the same thing when we had him on before the draft and asked him about Hoffman. It was 50 percent. He said it it would basically drop his his dollar value about in half. And so you know we have enough experience with most injuries or with most. Uh, arm problems, that it's pretty easy. And so when you're thinking about these things as essentially exercises in, in leverage and, um, and in using the leverage that you have against the other guy's leverage, which a big part a, a big part of, of the, the first part of Nick's piece is about kind of thinking about what sorts of factors give clubs leverage, what sorts of factors give players leverage, and what situations are uh, prone to create leverage on one side or the other and, and how that influences the negotiations. Mm-hmm. And so, if this were an elbow thing, there would be kind of a—I mean, a, a you know, a more typical elbow thing like fraying. Yeah, there'd be um, there'd be a shared vocabulary. There would be an agreement that like you know, it affects his dollar value by X. Therefore, it affects his leverage by X. But in this case, the Astros are saying it affects it by X, and maybe. He's saying, well, it affects it by half of X, mm-hmm. or a quarter of X, or one-eighth of X. And so then you're not really going to be able to find a common ground. Uh, so it created a very weird situation. So uh, that's an interesting point, Ben, and a good point. So, so the question then, one question that might be uh, relevant is, if another team had been in this situation and done exactly the same thing, uh, but wasn't the Astros, uh would it have gone differently not not because of any different tact that they had or any different action that they took but just because uh i wonder if this is the um, kind of fallout of the Astros strategy more or less not just strategy but um, the strategy as well as kind of the some of the public relations that have gone on around them lately um, where they're being painted as a particular type of organization and so therefore the actions they take are maybe easily caricaturized as conforming to that to that narrative to that uh, idea of who they are. If if for instance the you know the um, you know the another major league baseball team, Twins, <laughs> <laughs> if the Twins had had the first overall pick uh, and this exact same situation came up, I don't think I would spend a lot of time thinking. What does this say about the twins? Mm-hmm. you know it would have just been like, oh, that's weird and maybe I would have thought, ah those idiot twins sure are idiots but I wouldn't have had a pre-existing notion of what a twin does and how a twin behaves uh, but partly because of how much attention this rebuild has gotten and um, uh, you know partly uh, the Astros themselves publicizing and partly uh, people criticizing them and partly all of us just talking about them because it's unusual and interesting and uh, at times fun and at times odd, um, we have an idea of what an astro does. And so when they drop their offer to Aiken, so they, according to Flares' account of this situation, they offer him 6.5 million. They get the bad MRI, or what they see as a bad MRI. They they withdraw that offer. They. Give him a formal offer that's just big enough to guarantee they get the compensation pick next year if they don't sign him, and they also give him an informal offer of five million dollars. Simultaneously, they start pursue they start negotiating with a twenty first round pick uh, who was also a difficult sign and who it wasn't really expected would sign. They weren't even it, it doesn't seem like even really planning on signing
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, him, uh, and that's uh, Mac Marshall, and. Um, once it became clear though that this was well I guess in a way this is like that old saying uh, never waste a good crisis you know mm-hmm. never let a good crisis go to waste whatever yeah. that saying is um, it's almost as though you can sort of see the uh, the wheels turning in their brains while they're doing this and so that I the, the inference maybe is that because this was, The Astros, a team that you know does everything very intentionally, a team that gets credit for being smart and um, having a plan, um, it makes it maybe slightly harder to operate in good faith if you're the Akins, and maybe that's why it got
0: so nasty so quickly. Yeah, so Nick pointed out that maybe the Astros gave the impression that their top priority once they discovered whatever the irregularity was, was not making sure that, that Aiken was happy and Aiken ended up in Astro one way or another, but but that they were that the numbers worked out in such a way that it may have appeared, may have been or may have just appeared, that they were trying to cut his offer just the right amount that would allow them to sign Marshall. Um, instead of, instead of making the priority Aiken, who was their top pick, the first overall pick, someone you should probably try to make f- feel pampered, uh, instead maybe they were giving the impression, whether it was fair or not, whether it was their actual intention or not, that they were trying to profit from this circumstance from the situation that maybe it wasn't even an unwelcome development because they could exploit it or they found a way to make the most of it by using it to their own purposes and maybe that wasn't what they were doing at all maybe they didn't do a good job of communicating what they were doing but just the the circumstances the the lack of agreement over the severity of the injury and the fact that they were cutting the offer just the right amount that would enable them to, to do something else that would benefit them instead of just giving Aiken what he wanted or something closer to what he wanted, maybe increased suspicion or uh, gave Aiken and Close the the impression that the Astras were were negotiating in, in bad faith somehow here.
1: So the last thing uh, that I learned from this, maybe I don't know, maybe everybody's heard this, maybe this is. Just a known thing, but um, Jacob Nix is the fifth round pick who um, whose signing was sort of contingent on the Aiken signing because Aiken was going to sign below slot. They were going to use the extra, even in the original agreement before the MRI, mm-hmm. so he was going to sign below slot. They were going to use the savings to sign Nix, who was a, considered a difficult sign, a first round talent who slipped to the fifth round. And um, once Aiken doesn't sign, the entire slot disappears. They don't have the money for Nix, so Nix now is also. Um, Uh, you know, unable to be signed, Mm -hmm. Uh, and perhaps unable to go to UCLA uh, if he's ruled to have used an agent, uh, which seems moderately likely. So uh, Flair's notes that he was collateral damage and uh, says that, quote, many talking heads have insisted that the only equitable outcome for Knicks is for Major League Baseball to force the Astros to honor the agreed-upon deal. Uh, And... Coleris doesn't say that that's uh, the side that he's on or that he thinks it's likely. He's just noting that some people have said it. And it seems very unlikely, according to Nick, that this is going to happen. But if it does, uh, the Astros, by not having that pool money from the Aiken pick, if they were forced to honor the deal with Nick's, they would then go over their slot allotment for the year, and mm-hmm. they would lose, I think, their first two picks next year. And so it's unlikely, but it's actually conceivable that this situation, that's so horrible for the Astros already, or seems at least to be so horrible.
0: I think it's their the, Nick says it's the loss of their next two first-round picks. So I don't know. Whether, so that would be that their first pick in each of the next two drafts, I suppose. Or
1: yeah, okay. So say sorry, the next two mm. first-round picks. Uh, it could actually be tremendously worse. It, yeah. it I mean, unlikely, but just think of how bad. It would be if, if that ended up happening.
0: <laughs> that would that would be a disaster. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So that that probably won't happen. But I guess just the the mere possibility that that could happen that's something that could almost almost derail a rebuilding movement on its own. I mean, if you if yeah. you lost three. First round picks in a row. <laughs> and yeah. you've yeah. not to well, mention Appel, two, who is
1: presumably two, because they're going to have they're going to they'll get a compensation pick for next year.
0: True. Yeah. So
1: they would essentially be losing it, you know, de facto would be losing two. But yeah, then having Appel in there and uh, oh. yeah, it'd be bad. Very bad. Very, very bad, Ben. But mm-hmm. it probably won't happen. That pro- pro- probably won't happen. Yeah. There is it is interesting that at the end of the day, clearly this is bad for them. Uh, you know, they, they were lined up to have one of this, one of the great drafts, perhaps, of, of the era, or at least on draft day. Who knows whether any of these guys will turn into anything. And they end up with, uh, you know, one of the weakest hauls of the year. But they do get the number two overall pick next year. And it is interesting how, like, despite the fact that they didn't get anything done, the, the penalty for not getting anything done is it's a year deferred, and they drop one pick in the draft. Mm-hmm. And that's... Um, I, I, that's that's kind of interesting because I wonder whether... I mean, it, I guess that's fair. That's the intention is for it to be fair. You're not trying to harm teams. The, like, the point of this system is not to hurt teams or to uh, make it harder for teams to rebuild or anything like that. Uh, so the whole point of compensation is that they want teams to keep their draft picks. Um, but there is a way in which it's sort of... It, I don't know. I don't... I. I don't know. I'm not saying that they should be penalized for it. It feels as though the way that we talk about the situation, it feels like they've already been penalized for it, and then a year later, the penalty gets undone.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But I don't know. I don't have. A, I guess I don't have an opinion about that. It just it's odd. It's not as bad as it sounds in a, in ways. It's worse than it sounds, and it's not as bad as it sounds. It's,
0: yeah. So is is it possible past- that the the greatest harm done to the Astros by this whole process will be the the PR fallout and not just not just PR fallout in terms of fans being upset, but in terms of future negotiations being affected, whether it's in the future drafts or or even with professional players or with the, the players' association and the commissioner's office who it seems like have reason not to be thrilled with the Astros, particularly the the players association or Casey close himself who has other high profile clients. And, and uh, it's hard to say how, how upset he was with the Astros and, and legitimately, or whether he was just doing his best to, to put his client in the, the best light and put the Astros in the most negative light. But Maybe maybe he would be less likely to to negotiate with them in the future, and maybe this this whole this whole mess just sort of adds on to the pile of other Astros controversies. Whether it's the the lowballing of you know Springer Singleton with extension offers, uh, the postponing of promoting them, and uh, and Evans' article about how they're regarded within the game with some skepticism and uh and the the ground control leak of trade talks that wasn't the best reflection of them so yeah all of that is kind of building into this i don't know it, it feels kind of like a critical mass of something right now but maybe maybe nothing bad <laughs> there won't be any negative astro stories for a year now and and we'll all well, I'll forget about it and let it go. Yeah,
1: I think that's why I, I that's why I, I asked the question about what it would be like if this had been the twins because I'm normally this sort of stuff it just disappears after a while. You know, most stuff doesn't really stick. There's bad news cycles; they're followed by good news cycles. They don't really matter, and most of what but but what seems to be interesting about the Astros is that what we've gotten to a point where like most of what they've the things that you named in isolation are not particularly bad,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, and if, if they'd happened to another team it wouldn't have been particularly notable. It's just that it's gotten to this point where it feels like they've got an inescapable narrative around them that arguably uh, is starting to affect their ability to maximize their opportunities in building a team. And that's when it starts to matter, and that's where you can start to sort of feel bad for them. It's, it's a, a runaway narrative is awfully hard to counter, and they're probably getting hit harder than they should be on some of these things. Um, but once it gets started, um, it's it can be hard to stop. Everything starts to look like another brick in that argument, um, and as long as it's not affecting the play on the field or the product on the field, which is generally the case with PR, that doesn't matter. But it's starting to feel like it might be. And the Aiken situation is probably the most compelling ca- example or the most compelling case that you can make that it started to affect the product on the field. So uh, I don't know. I don't know if that's true. I don't know if we're just overreacting to things, mm-hmm. which we, we don't actually. I mean, all like a ton of this stuff is speculation. And uh, our certainly our assessment of their, uh, you know, how it affects them is speculation. Um, but you know, yeah, it's it it like I like I said a couple of days ago, it's like it's started to sort of feel like darker, a
0: little darker. Mm-hmm. And if you if you want to say that they brought it on themselves to some extent by, you know, trumpeting trumpeting their process and trumpeting their their status as I don't know iconoclasts or. Or people who are not bound by tradition and uh, and giving lots of quotes and interviews and stories about how they're so innovative and they're you know trying things that other teams have not tried before and I mean they have they have broadcasted that quite loudly right I mean other teams are likely doing the same things that the Astros have been in the news about for. Uh, the organization of their baseball operations department or hiring people from outside the traditional baseball background, that sort of thing. There are other teams trying experimental things and, uh, and going against baseball tradition and not, not talking to the press about it. And it always seemed to me like the Astros strategy in trying to position themselves as the team that was willing to do these things was that that was all they had going for them at the time that, they wanted the narrative not to be that we are incompetent losers, which maybe it would have been if they had just stayed quiet and lost 110 games every year. And so they, they did their best to put a positive spin on the losing by saying we have a plan and we're trying new things and uh, ultimately the talent will be there. And then, and then we have the personnel in place to operate a winning team and everything. So Maybe if they hadn't done that, maybe if they were as quiet as the Rays and they never spoke to anyone and and no one could name anyone who was in their front office, but they had lost the same number of games, maybe it would have been a negative story in a completely different way. Maybe Maybe by drawing the attention to their process, they distracted people to some extent from the losing and the Hopeless depression of being as bad as they've been over the past few years. I don't mm-hmm. know. It's hard to say which which would be worse. It's not as if they escaped notice for losing a lot either. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh. So it'll be interesting they if they if they if they win if their talent comes along as they expect it to. Then I would expect that this is not the defining story of the Astros ultimately. But at this moment in time it it seems like a, a tough thing to overcome
1: yeah yeah I was gonna say what you know what do you do to turn the narrative around and the simple answer is you win I mean mm-hmm. that's almost literally the only thing you can do they I mean I, I, look we're in a little bit of a closed loop around here so I don't want to impose my uh, experience with that of everyone around the world but I mean you might say that, other than winning the next best thing would be getting a full-throated endorsement on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Mm-hmm. And yet as you know I'm sure you saw in your timeline there was that just became fodder that became something that a lot of people use to, uh, to to elevate their criticism of it. So you know it becomes hard to escape unless you're winning. so winning is the next is the
0: next Hmm. Anyway, everyone should go go read Nick's article because uh, it's very thorough and we only talked about aspects of it. Uh, and there's, there's more for you to learn from that piece. So go check that out. And if you did not send a listener email in time for what you thought would be the listener email show, then you, you have a, a, another day in which you can do that. So send us some emails at podcast at com, And please support our sponsor, Baseball Reference, by going to baseballreference.com. Subscribing to the Play Index with the coupon code BP to get the discounted price of $30 on a one-year subscription, and we will be back tomorrow.